You are listening to The Current Daily, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Monday, June 29th, and it's the first day of Summer Session 1. Now we are all practiced in remote teaching and learning, right? Let's see how it goes, and let's get even better as we go forward. It's good to be back, even though most of us are still at home. Because you demanded it, today we've got that part two of our interview with CIO Vince Kellen. So enjoy. When did you first realize the impact that coronavirus would have on our operations, if you look back to February or March or whenever? I knew back then that when, as we were discussing it with the executive team and the cabinet, uh, that, you know, we were going to be isolating, sheltering in place. And so then it was rather, rather simple. We've been doing that work here at, in IT for some time. And it was pretty clear that all our movements to get to the cloud were extremely beneficial, getting Zoom out there, getting Canvas uh, ready to go. Uh, among other things in the cloud, were extraordinarily helpful because we're able to scale rather ginormously, actually, without missing a beat. And so having the foresight to do that was extremely helpful. I, I sort of realized that right away, so we moved very, very quick. I knew that that students are going to, I mean, some students are going to have issues with laptops, so we said we got to get laptops to some students. We'll probably have some issues with staff. We got to do that. And then we have to do the right contracting things to, one, be able to do all this. We knew that research labs was going to be an issue and computation labs, most importantly. So getting the cloud labs up uh, was a big push as well. So pretty much right away, when once we knew that, you know, shelter in place is going to be happening. And I was charting and looking at the data as I do today on a regular basis and studying the, the virus itself and knew that this was, this was going to be a global pandemic, which it is. And it's a wreaking havoc in many, many ways with all parts of the world. And looking back, what are your thoughts on how campus shifted to remote classes, learning, and work? Overall, campus did fabulous in shifting all of this, especially on the learning side, teaching side, where all the instructors literally jumped right in and made the change. And I think staff adjusted well. Now, there's a lot of staff who don't have optimal home environments or kids are crawling over them. I know what that's like. And so it's now the tough phase. If you can do that for a month or two, but now to do this for a whole year, if you have to. So I think we've responded really well on campus. And I think individuals have responded really well. Now it's a different thing. We now have to live with this. So now we have to moderate. And so what I, and I was trying to tell folks about a month ago, hey, okay, we got to stop the 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Zoom, 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 Zoom. I, I feel like a Zoom horse jockey with saddle sores now because all I've been doing is sitting in my chair. and That's not healthy either. So we've got to get back to a new normal where we can uh, not have to have a synchronous rush to constantly meet all the time because that's not healthy either. So now it's learning how to shift gears and live with it, especially as we complete our ESR programs, get people rest time, get people normal hours back as much as we can so that we can catch up and then hit the student system and work through that. So I think we've all responded really well, but I think the next phase is actually the, in many ways, a little tougher because you have to normalize the behavior and you got to get your rest, stay healthy, and do this now for probably another six to eight months, maybe a year. 
And as far as our you know, rapid transition to remote teaching, learning, and work, what surprised you most about that shift? The most surprising to me was how well our faculty and students did. You know, I was certainly expecting far more noise out of that, and everybody rose to the occasion, especially the faculty. And so I told folks, administrators who are having a hard time, they said, you're having a hard time. You try to teach going from on-premise to completely online, like in three days or a week or two. You try that. So our faculty responded extraordinarily well. So that was the big surprise for me. Probably the second surprise, although it's not really a surprise, is how ready we were from an IT standpoint for all of this and how important it was to get things to the cloud for auto-scaling and hyperscalability. Think about it. Zoom was able to accommodate tremendous growth in their business, and we didn't have to buy a server and install anything on-prem. That's a big deal. So the other thing, it's not surprising to me, but, but I'm glad that we were able to do that. And then the third most surprising thing for me was the Zoom environment is, people say it's flatter. I mean, everybody jumps in and you're kind of just these little square tiles on the screen. You're all equal. And there is less ability to do the posturing and positioning that people naturally do in a physical space. And in some ways, that has flattened things. For those who are new to Zoom collaboration or digital collaboration, they climb on. It's like, wow, this is fun. Let's go do this. And they quickly go through this exhaustion phase where they're now tired of it. For those of us who are doing this a very long time, we didn't have that, oh my gosh, we're now all Zooming. We've been doing it for a long time, years for me. So I didn't have this transition in my experience. And so uh, having watched everybody kind of go through that and start to say, okay, maybe Zoom isn't as good as I thought it would be. Well, yeah, no, it, it's a great tool. It does good things, but... <laughs> For those of us who a very long time, don't get too attached to it. There's lots of other ways to do this. What do you wish you knew before this all started that may have helped you or us? I wish we knew, I and we knew much more about the disease when we started because we're still learning about the disease and it's really helping guide action. I don't know if that knowledge would have materially changed a whole lot, but like everybody else, we're saying, how long is this going to last, right? And the wise epidemiologists who were playing this were trying to say, be ready, this is going to take a while. And they're right. You know, I kind of wish I had their understanding when all of this started. But that's okay. Everybody is going through that at the same time. What are you most proud of in terms of the last few months? I'm most proud of all of this ITS staff and how everybody has just not missed a beat while taking on all of this extra work. Well, I'm very proud, but I'm also partially dismayed about it because, we, we, you know, you got to get your rest. You just can't burn the candle at both ends forever in a day. So I'm very proud of that and very proud of our ability to do that. I'm very proud of our teamwork. And that starts with the senior management team, the team that I get to work with, which is uh, the ITS SMT folks. Uh, great teamwork. Great. In fact, of all the teams I've been a part of, the absolute best team. No question. And by virtue of their self-adjusting, correcting, living with their differences, but talking about them and moving on, when I got to come in and help uh, with any discussion or conflict, uh, helping me with that. Uh, so I'm very proud of that as well. The university and then our department, we have this experience now going fully remote. What do we do with it? To me... 
help lead the way on what I call flexible work environments. Knowledge work does not have to be put into a mechanized box, meaning a box that comes with a light switch and an off switch and it's square and you sit in it. Knowledge work is more fluid. Just continuing to help lead the university and keep talking about a flexible work environment. People say, well, you're working remote. I said, no, no, that's not the way to think about it. I'm trying to build a work environment that is conducive to how I work. And that's an answer for each individual. Certainly for many of us, reducing interruption, getting into our flow, our state of flow in the middle of the work and trying to sustain that flow is really important because that improves productivity. Leaving the the premises open to us so we can come to a place. Human beings are about place. Human beings are about seeing each other. So keep leading the way on maintaining a flexible work environment that can accommodate differences between individuals without relaxing any of our performance or accountability. And we can do that. We've been doing that. We can continue to do that. So I would just tell ITS, keep leading the way. And what, what, is a, what does a classroom, such as it is, or a, a learning environment of the future look like now that, now that we know that we can do it remotely? There's a lot being thought about this and discussed by faculty and everywhere. For those who haven't gone through this, I understand, and I started teaching online in 1998, and I've taught almost exclusively a hybrid, meaning uh, one class with an online component and with an in-premise component. And students can mix and match. They could decide, oh, this week I'll go to the lecture, next week I won't. And so we had a complete self-selection approach at Paul University. And I started teaching in that mode since about 98, 99. And been teaching that way ever since until I got here when I sort of stopped my teaching activities. I think that there's a lot of discussion about that right now. I think it's going to be a best of all worlds, meaning there is certainly for the 18 to 22 year old crowd, a need for a physical place. They are still maturing as adults. They're learning to live by themselves. And they got in front of them these incredible academic intellectual challenges here. So we got to combine the space. We have to combine the online so that we can optimize students' learning and time. What does that mean? Well, I think one thing is I always tell people stop giving the same boring lecture 20 years in a row. Record it. Take the best stuff and don't give it again. Instead, use the classroom for more individualized attention and feedback uh, with the students. For I think the undergraduates, it's recognizing that online can be as effective as on-premise. And it isn't soulless either. It depends on whom. What everybody misses in this equation, say, well, it doesn't work for students. And I say, well, which student? For some students, online is fantastic. For other students, it's not so great. The answer depends upon the individual differences of each of the learners. So we have to recognize that learners are different. They learn differently, and we can provide accommodations that enhance everybody's learning. Say it over and again. Abraham Lincoln never went to a classroom. He read a book but he's not our target learner. Uh, He's an autodidact. He was able to teach himself anything just by reading. Well, that's a sort of a theory we want to have of how best students should learn. It's not the reality. The reality is many of us learn by doing and interacting with others. So I think we got to pick the best of all worlds and build a more adaptive, flexible, hybrid teaching environment. And it does not need to be solace. Now, for the working adult who wants to advance their education, Great education online is a, is a godsend. 
One, they're highly motivated. Two, they're mature. They tend to have better metacognition skills and self-regulation skills. And they're coming in usually for a shorter period of time than four years. Uh, so we certainly can do far more online for our adult learners. Uh, so again, it's really flexible work environment, flexible learning environment. And I've heard you mention in the past the idea that like a dorm room is, is the classroom of the future. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it, right now, the dorm room is the classroom uh, because when we enter the fall here, a lot of students are not going to be going to the physical classroom. They're going to be sitting in their dorms. We haven't thought of dorms as that. We think of dorms as where they go at night and they're out on campus during the day. Uh, that's not going to be the case. Uh, at least certainly for fall term here, maybe into the winter term and beyond. Uh, many instructors will be a little nervous about coming to class until they have a vaccine, and rightfully so. It might not be forever, but it'll certainly be for the next couple of terms, maybe longer. What do you think the long-term impact of coronavirus is going to be on higher education? That's an even tougher question to answer. So much of what drives higher education is human culture, which doesn't change rapidly. So a lot of people have been saying higher ed is going to, you know, have its, it's coming. It's going to have to adjust. It's going to perish. We've been saying that since I've been in higher education, and I'm waiting for the predictions to come true. What's really going on, especially for the 18 to 22-year-old population, is the strong need to go somewhere else to study and immerse in that environment. That's part of human culture. It's been part of human culture for thousands of 2,000 years now. Now it's available to large sections of the population. So that I don't think is going to change. But what I hope will change and how higher ed will change is they will realize they don't need as much concrete as they had in the past. They don't need as many buildings as they had in the past. They don't need to have everybody constantly coming to campus all the time. That they can use this notion of flexible work environment, flexible learning environment to take the best of all worlds. This has tremendous impact from traffic and parking, congestion, quality of life, getting rid of commute back for everybody. And for the learners, the ability to learn around the clock potentially. So I'm hoping that's how higher ed will adjust. I think what's going to happen is uh, more institutions will get squeezed. A few more will disappear and go bankrupt. And with the, with the demographic collapse that or shrinkage that is going to happen in higher ed, where we know down the road here in the next few years, actually starting now in some states, but coming longer term, is a reduction in high school graduates. That that's going to cause some institutions to really have to pursue the adult learner market heavily. So I think all these pressures, coronavirus has sort of accelerated that transition for some institutions faster. Thank you for your time, Vince. Thank you, Mark. And as always, some good questions. Appreciate it. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.